Well, it's time for the sermon, and so it's time to get on the bus. But it'll be a short bus ride. I can pledge that, as you've uh, heard this story, many of you, before. But I'm going to recount it quickly because it leads into part two of the story that I don't think I've elaborated on uh, before. So in the first grade, we get our first report card. And on that report card, we are evaluated in our conduct on a scale from one to four. Four being you've got an exemplary kid. Four, they're going to be a decent and average citizen. Uh, Two, uh, parents, guardians, there's a cause for concern here. And one, lock the kid up and throw away the key. So I got my first report card and saw three twos on there. Three twos, I didn't know what it meant actually because I didn't understand the key of that scale. Got on the bus and uh, my brother, hey, let me see your report card. Whoa, wait till you get home. So the rest of the ride was filled with dread and I got a stink bug on my sermon. Woo, there we go. Uh, The rest of the ride was filled with dread. Uh, I got home and it was just dreadful waiting for dad to get home. Um, My dad wasn't malicious. He was good and benevolent. But you know, any kid fears punishment. That's kind of normal. Well, the night dragged on and on. I went to bed, heard him come through the front door, heard his leather sold business shoes clicking on the brown ceramic tile in the hallway above, heard him shimmy down the stairway. I got out of bed to meet him in the hallway to hopefully deflect the wrath, only to be scooped up by my dad and feeling his 5 o'clock shadow by then 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock shadow as he kissed me and hearing him say, Honey, I love you. Now, you heard that before. I'm convinced that from that moment on, he wanted me to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his overriding thoughts of me were not that he's looking to mete out punishment, but that he loved me. Um, This is not a workshop on disciplining your kids. That was a special moment that my dad just felt led to do that. Part two of the story, and it's a lot brief, more brief, I like to think that from that moment on, maybe I'm actually kind of certain from that moment on, I look forward to talking to my dad and saying, Dad, I think I know what you were doing there. That because I was secure and confident in my love at home, it it played out in my conduct at school. I I looked forward to bringing my report cards home because watching my mom and dad open up and seeing more threes and fours. Not that I was a saintly kid, but I like to think that that's what went on there. Now, as I engage the text for this morning's sermon, um, that, that's, that event in my life really crystallized it had never, as it had never had before. Our text is Matthew 6, 1 through 18. And in this text, we see the word father used no less than nine times. And in the way that Jesus instructs us how to pray to our Heavenly Father, along with the rest of the book of Matthew, we see how generous our Father is in his forgiveness and love for us. And out of that flows our living. And so our theme today is let's live like we're loved. Let's live like we're loved. Now back to engaging the text This as I was getting ready. 
and it required some engaging, believe me. You see, Pastor Nick is malicious to me. We go way back, back to the gridiron at the Hillcrest Lutheran Academy where he was running back on the varsity and I was a scrub on JV. And it was my job to try to tackle him sometimes. And that was cruel and unusual punishment. He's not going to like that I talked about this. Oh, well. His maliciousness continues with me to this day. Tom, will you preach on October 23rd? Yes, I will. Thanks, Nick, for asking me and thinking of me. I really appreciate that. Great. You're going to tackle verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6. Have at it. Now, we're going to hear that in just a second. All kidding aside, let's be honest. We do find some of the things that Jesus says in the Gospels really challenging, really difficult. And I found myself wrestling. You know, like last week, uh, if your right eye causes you to stumble, tear, uh, rip it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, lop it off. What? What's with that? Well, engaging the text this uh, week, man, verses 14 and 15. So let's, uh, let's jump to those. You should see it printed up on the screen, reading in Jesus' name. Jesus says in teaching us to pray, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. <laughs> Whoa. Remember Peter when they were... Uh, traveling, and uh, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man, referring to himself, must go to Jerusalem, suffer, die, be killed, and be raised. Peter's like, whoa, come over here, Jesus, come on. Hey, what are you saying there? Don't talk like that. That's not going to (laughs) happen. I read those verses. I don't know about you, but I want to say, Jesus, um, why are you saying it this way? Our Heavenly Father is generous in his love and forgiveness for us. No strings attached. So today, just take hold of the promise of forgiveness. So back to Jesus winning the wrestling match with me on these verses, these powerful verses. How about approaching these verses now from a gospel angle? As you have forgiven your debtors, Take that as a comforting and sure sign that you too are forgiven. That all is good between you and your Heavenly Father. That you are accepted. You're free. You've got nothing to lose. Now go and live like you're loved. Live like you're loved. In the rest of Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18, now Jesus instructs his disciples, including you and me, Uh, how to live this out in opportunities of our devotion to him and our service to our neighbor. In the areas of of giving, praying, and fasting, focusing our lives and how we're treating one another. These these areas um, of of giving and and, uh, praying and fasting, the way Jesus is talking about them, these are uh, Jewish traditions. Uh, The church has turned these opportunities acts of piety, the word act can be a bit, bit misleading. We're not acting. We're not actors. 
That's what the hypocrites do, as we will see. Let's think of them as actions, as expressions of devotion to God and service to our neighbor. So from, uh, listen to uh, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, tell you they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Hypocrites act out the act of giving. They act out what are meant to be expressions of devotion to God and service to their neighbor. They're actors. And their goal is for others to see what they're doing, to look impressive, can I say, to appear spiritual. And what's the reward? The reward, it ends with the praise and honor of men and women and anybody. But unlike that motivation and goal, the disciples of Jesus, you and I today, we lived, we live based on what God's thoughts of us are, especially as expressed in giving us a son, Jesus, for us. What are his thoughts of you? His thoughts of you are of love and blessing. We live out that we are loved by our Heavenly Father. And because of his heart toward us, our hearts become undivided between God and people, unlike the hypocrites whose hearts are divided, who are looking to impress and be uh, seen and heard by others. Uh, Historians and, and church scholars help us out here to kind of do a deeper dive in these verses. There was a place in the Jewish temple called Silence, a place where beneficial, uh, uh, beneficial benefactors would give their alms to the bashful poor. The place was called Silence. And I'm, I'm really intrigued by the sentence here that Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you're giving. What's that all about? Well, um, well, for one thing, that's hard for me to not let my left hand know what my right hand is give, doing in my giving. I'm left-handed. I write my checks left-handed. And yes, Kathy Bothan is rolling her eyes at me because I'm the only one that still puts a check in that tub back there. Tom, when are you going to get with the times? Just kidding. But I, I don't like change. Everything's auto-pay, auto-debit, auto-drive, autopilot these days. I still like to call a customer service representative and pay my bill. I hear that friendly voice on the other end of the line. All kidding aside, imagine um, your left hand. Well, we know for sure that our left hand and our right hand are very close in proximity with one another, especially relative to other parts of our environment. And picture your left hand being able to see and your right hand being able to see. Jesus says, let your, left, your giving be such that your left is not going to see what your right is doing. There's no time to think about our motivation of, oh, wow, I feel great about my giving. And if that's the case, much less are we going to be concerned about others seeing 
our giving. The only one with whom it really matters who sees is our Heavenly Father in our lives. We don't live to impress to be seen. And it's not that we're wanting him to see it and that we're wanting him to be impressed and, 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 uh, be, and, and get his approval. But you see, he can see what is done from the heart. And so we have the words in secret. And that's what he's after. He's after our hearts. All along, he's been after the hearts of his people. A heart that loves him because he first loved us. A heart that believes and trusts him, knowing that he daily desires and does forgive us and provide for our earthly needs like food and shelter, friendship, and all the needs that we have in life. So what's our goal in giving? It's a chance to express our thankfulness that God is providing for us. It's an opportunity to express our trust that he's going to continue to help you pay the rent, that he's going to continue to help you put food on the table. It's an opportunity to benefit our neighbor who needs our help, just as alms were given to help the poor. And who's our model? Who's our inspirer? Who's our influencer in all of this? Jesus Christ, who fully complied with the law's requirements to give and to give from a pure heart. And he gave to the max when he carried our sins, our hypocrisy, our selfishness, our showboating, and carried it out to the cross at Golgotha when he gave his life for you and me. Jesus now instructs his disciples on another area of devotion and service to him, our neighbor. That is prayer. Prayer is simply uh, talking to God quietly or aloud from the heart. It's not that he's all about us never being seen or heard. That's not the point. Let's not take it that way. He was seen and heard in prayer in the Gethsemane by his disciples. It's that, um, it's just talking to God quietly in our hearts or aloud. Again, let's hear from uh, scripture here, verses 5 through 13. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, hypocrites act out prayer. Their goal, to look impressive, to be seen, to be heard, to appear spiritual. Scholars help us out here again. Um, Jesus, it's, it's very probable he's alluding to uh, folks, probably religious leaders, who just happen, coincidentally, get caught at the busiest of intersections 
in town where foot traffic is going in all four directions, just happened to get caught at the time of prayer, at which time it's proper to turn to Jerusalem, or if you're in Jerusalem, turn to the temple and pray. Whoa, look at me maximizing their visibility to be seen. And rather having a posture to hallow the Father's name, they instead have a posture of bossing him around as if he were at their bidding. Father God, we pray. Father God, we do this. Father God, do that. Dare I even say manipulate God. Pagans believe that, uh, that they could tire, tire out their God by their many words, their babbling. That if they just ranted on and on enough, their God would get so tired that they would finally, let's put this prayer out of its misery and I'll give them what they want. It was a belief held by pagans. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting and you're like, God, put that person's prayer out of misery, please. (laughs) Our Heavenly Father, to the contrary, doesn't tire of giving. He's not waiting for others to be impressed by us or for us to say enough words or the right words to, to get what we need. He loves to give. And he wants us to know that. He wants us to trust that he's going to provide for us. That he's going to put the food on the table for you. That he's going to be with you in your loneliness. That he will provide friends. He wants us to trust him. And he wants us just to, to desire that uh, from the heart that our neighbors will be helped, the ones for whom we pray. And so our goal in prayer, talking to God from the heart, is that we know that God's going to provide whether we ask him or not, but we want the the level of awareness to be raised in our own minds that he is going to provide, that we can trust that he's going to continue to do so, and that he's going to help those for whom we pray. These are the kind of of things that our Heavenly Father sees in secret. So let's, let's talk to God like we're loved. And third, let's focus our life like we're loved. From Matthew 6, 16 and 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, you have, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus gives us some instruction here on fasting, this act of piety. The context here is abstaining or withholding food for a period of time from ourselves. It's rooted in the Jewish practice of fasting over sorrow of sin in our life. I believe we can find application to this in in choosing to abstain or refrain from any of God's good, good gifts that he gives to us for a period of time in order to be devoted to him and listen to him through his word, through all the clutter of life. We may sense that there's a time to fast, to focus our lives rather than to indulge a, a hobby or, or something else good, 
rather than to, to reach for a cold one or something other of God's good gifts in our lives. Instead, reach out to a neighbor and use that expenditure or that time to reach out to them and bless them. To impress others, of course not. To score points with God, of course not. But because God is very generous in his forgiveness and love for us. And we want to live like we're loved. Who's our model, our influencer, and in this case, especially our champion? Our champion is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Who fasted 40 days and 40 nights to focus his life in doing battle with the devil in the wilderness, preparing to win the war for you and me against sin, death, and the devil. Jesus is really the giver and the prayer and the faster in this passage, ultimately. You and I could be so thankful. Maybe we're glad, even proud, that we have all these expressions of devotion and service down so well. Hardly. And I don't mean to be trite in saying that. Hardly is way more than an understatement. It's the stark reality of our lives. Jesus' teachings on Christian piety are right on the heels of him saying to his disciples, Be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Holy Spirit is doing the uncomfortable yet necessary work of helping you and helping me see that we haven't and aren't living up to the highest standard of God's good and holy law, that of living from the heart, a heart that's fully devoted to him, with no demands on him or our neighbor to be seen, to be heard, And this is what Jesus is driving at here in this passage. But hang on with me. Hang with me here. When we talk to our Heavenly Father, we ask him to forgive us our debts. Our debts. Every time we've given with ulterior motives, every time we've spoken to him like he's just our buddy and can be bossed around instead of a way that he's to be hallowed, Every time we put on airs to look spiritual and impressive in our fasting and our focusing of life, instead of devotion and service, every time we've nurtured a grudge, every time we've used a breath and a calorie of energy other than to love God and serve our neighbor, we've rung up a debt to God. And we can't go back and do a redo. Excuse me, it's done. We owe a debt. And it must be paid for. Hang with me. Supposed to get this out of the way before. The good news is that Jesus who's driving us to see our need, has met our need. And as he instructed and redirected the thoughts of John the Baptist when he came to get baptized by him, no, not you, Jesus. Oh, yes, John. He's letting his disciples know, too, that he 
came and has fulfilled all righteousness. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law of giving, praying, and fasting, living from the heart, a pure heart. He had no deaths with the heavenly father. And there's more to him fulfilling all righteousness. Not only has he, not only does he have, he has no debt with our heavenly father, he paid our debt and he paid it in full with his life at Golgotha. You see, the wages of sin is death. There's no getting around it. But he gave his life for us. And in exchange, as Josh read earlier, we get his righteousness. We are considered as having lived rightly. We're considered as having lived blamelessly and purely. Wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how God sees us, no longer sees us in our sin. Because the debt has been paid. And in the Heavenly Father's forgiveness of us, there's a reality that um, our sin is so far removed from us that he doesn't even blink an eye at it. As far as the east is from the west, so far, the the psalmist says, has he removed our sins from us. So let's live like we're loved. Let's treat others like we're loved. Verse 12, I want to read again as we draw a close here. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's worth repeating, how is it going with that person who's said the hurtful word, the unkind thing to you? Maybe you're sensing a a bad vibe, a bad vibe from them. Let it go. Cancel what they owe you. Don't associate what they've done any longer. Let it be as far disconnected from them as as the east is from the west. Treat them like you're loved. Are your dukes up? Put them down. Jesus isn't instructing to be subject to abuse. There's healthy and right ways to deal with that. He's dealing with our hearts, though. The debt that your friend, your coworker, your family member owes you cancel it, consider it gone. Treat them like you're loved, as you are loved by your Heavenly Father. In conclusion, what's the reward for acting out life? What's the reward for playing pretend, for being hypocritical? It, just, it ends with the praise and honor of men. What's the reward for living out life? not acting it out. It's the reward that, the very, it's the very thing that fuels our living. It's God's love. It's this wonderful circle. It's living in God, our Heavenly Father's love. So, let's live like we're loved. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.